Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Glad you are here. There was a fire that broke out on some grassland not far from a farmhouse. And so the local uh, city sent out the fire department to try to get control of the fire. You know how those prairie fires can be. They can be uncontrollable and they can move so quickly. Well, soon the local uh, city fire department realized they were outgunned. They're not gonna be able to get this fire under control. So they called the um, little rural volunteer fire department to come out and help them. And so the fire department assembled, they got into this old dilapidated fire truck and off in the distance, the city, big city fire chief sees the, the old uh, volunteer fire department headed down the hillside. I mean, just hammer down. They're flying down that hillside. They broke through the fire line. They go right out into the center of this fire and the volunteer firemen, they just peel off of the truck. They start spraying water in every different direction. And before long, they had actually um, broken the fire into four parts where they were able to bring it under control and put that fire out. And boy, the city fire captain was so impressed with that volunteer fire department, how they so heroically and bravely drove right into the middle of that fire to help extinguish the thing. And so he moved that that local fire department should be given some sort of a, an award for their bravery and, their, and the heroics of that moment. And so they made a presentation, the local news media were there and presented that volunteer fireman uh, captain a check for $5,000 and said, we've never seen such bravery. And then the reporter asked him, what is the first thing you're going to do with those funds? He said, I can tell you the first thing we're doing, we're getting the brakes on that fire truck fix. <laughs> well, can I tell you in life, in life, as in everything that happens, nothing, nothing just happens. Nothing doesn't happen in your life or mine. Nothing just happens in your family or mine. Nothing just happens in your business or mine unless we are intentional, unless we are purposeful, unless we are persistent. And can I tell you, that's true when it comes to our Heavenly Father. He has promised so many amazing things for us, for we, his children, to enjoy, to experience, but nothing just happens. Every promise in the Bible is conditional. I mean, there's so many thousands and thousands of promises and all those promises, God is saying, look, I will do this provided you do that. <laughs> and if you will meet your side of that obligation, I will promise to fulfill uh, all that I've said that I would do in your life. And certainly that's true with revival. We've been talking for the last month about wanting to see and experience revival. And we've talked about how that we desire to see revival in our country, and certainly that's what our, our text will uh, talk about. But we also wanna see a revival in our community, a spiritual awakening, if you will. We'd love to see a real revival in our church with a new passion and a zeal for God and for loving and reaching and helping and ministering to people. But I can tell you the, the way to experience all of those things is to first have a revival within our own heart. There has to be a move of God within my my own heart. 
Sometimes we're guilty as Christ followers of uh, assessing and judging and evaluating everything else around us. This could be better, that's not as good, this is that and that is the other. When the reality of it is, if we could just experience a real move of God in our own heart, not only would it change uh, 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 our outlook on the circumstances around us, but it could potentially be the catalyst to change all of the events around us. I've told you before, here's the thing. You don't always see things as they are, you see things as you are. If I'm having a bad day, it filters everything uh, that about me, that I, I see you a different way. If I'm going through a hard time in my life, it will cloud, it will impede the way I, I look at other things in my life. So when you consider that, if you and I could have a, a, a spiritual awakening with our own heart, a new passion for God within our own soul, it would then change the way we look at one another. It would change the way we look at life. And so we've been looking at this idea of revival with the challenge of it being, God, revive me. Start within my, my own heart. Do something within me. The first weekend out, I, I talked about the condition for revival. Uh, remember in our text, as we'll read in just a moment, he said it really begins with his people. Uh, if you're waiting for the world to change before you experience a change, it'll, it'll never happen. Uh, he said, if my people who are called by my name. So the condition for revival is God's people. Uh, we are responsible. We have the obligation as well as the opportunity to share our faith with other people. Uh, one of the best ways to impact your marriage or your relationship is stop praying that your, your significant other will change. Pray that you'll change. <laughs> Because if you change, you're gonna give your significant other someone different to respond to, and by virtue of that, they have to change. <laughs> you're a different you. And so I'm suggesting sometimes we pray for the wrong thing. Sometimes we pray for our circumstances. Oh, God, change this circumstance. Not just this person, but this circumstance. And I'm convinced this morning God didn't die for our circumstances. He died for us. And it's not always the circumstances that need to change. It's not the new job or the new city or the new church or the new environment. Sometimes we just need to change. God help my attitude and help my outlook and change, change me. <laughs> and when you change me, everything else can then change around me. So we talked about condition for revival being it has to start within us. And then the next part of that verse dealt with the contrition. He said, if they'll humble themselves, and pray. Contrition, uh, to be humble before God. Uh, I, I honestly believe that the, probably the worst sin that does more damage to churches and homes and marriages is the sin of pride. Most conflict in a relationship is nothing more than one ego butting heads with another ego. <laughs> and if you're gonna resolve anything, you have to admit that you're wrong. You're not wrong about everything, but you're wrong about something. It's a pretty flat pancake that doesn't have two sides. Wouldn't you agree? So there comes a point where you have to say, look, I'll accept my, uh, my part of this situation and I'm willing to humble myself because I want the relationship, I want it to work. Uh, the Bible teaches that pride goes before destruction and this haughty spirit before fall. I respect people who just own their stuff. Hey, it's me, it's not my coworkers, it's not my family, I messed up, I, it's me. I'm trying to correct everything around me and maybe I, the, the man in the mirror is the one that needs to be Corrected, and so begin with yourself. Begin to say, hey, I could have this wrong. I could be wrong about this situation. I, I could have the wrong opinion about this situation. This actually, <laughs> this actually could be me. 
first of all, the person you say that to who loves you best and knows you most will probably pass out when they hear you say that. But <laughs> resuscitate them and let them know that this is a new you. You're trying to change. It involves contrition. It involves humility. And then last weekend, Pastor Corey talked about the idea of the cost. The cost. <laughs> he joked about how he got the assignment of repentance, that I picked all the good stuff and gave him repentance. It's just the way it worked out. I don't know. Our friend, Dr. Jerry Thorpe, who will be here in the fall, you guys know Dr. Thorpe, and we did a series years ago, we were at the grocery store, <laughs> and the series, I don't remember what it was, but I happened to have the subject of heaven the week before, and guess what he drew? Hell. He said, so you want me to come to the Met Church and give them hell? I said, yes, sir, give them hell. That's, that's what we want you to do. That's what you're here to do. And, uh, and, and he did. He brought a, a, an incredible message on the reality of hell, how Jesus preached more about that and warning people of the reality of that than any other topic. And so he did great. But the, the, the fact of it is repentance is necessary for everything we do in life, especially for revival. Uh, Corey talked about repentance. As you remember, the, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia, metanoia. That's Christianese. Here's what it means. It means to turn, to turn. Now, believe it or not, theologians will actually have debates over, does that mean, now, now follow me, does that mean to turn to Christ from sin or to turn from sin to Christ? They actually debate over that, and they fall out over that. Can you believe that? I think the boys have something, they need to get something better to do. I'd, I'd tell those guys, if you're gonna fall out over that, get a life, right? <laughs> you know, the reality of it is it's both. It's, it's, uh, it's, the, it's the same coin, it's just two different. Some people turn to Christ from their sin, some people turn from their sin to Christ. I, if I heard your conversion story this morning, some of you came to Christ because of how bad it was in your life. You said, man, I got, I, something better has to be, I, the God, you, I mean, I need help. This is terrible, I'm living in a life, I'm just living in hell. There's gotta be a better life than this. So you turned from something toward Jesus. Other people, you say, my testimony was different. I actually had a pretty good life. Uh, I had a good family. Everything was going my way, but I realized what was missing was Jesus. And so it was the beauty of Jesus that drew me to him. I, I wasn't coming out of a, a really hard life or a bad life. I was just attracted to Christ. And so I'm just saying both conversion experiences are real. When you turn to Jesus, that just means you've turned. Metanoia, you've turned. The prodigal left the pig pen because he he turned. <laughs> he said, I'm going back to the Father. That's the cost, the cost of revival. And this morning, I want to close our series talking to you a little while about the consequence. The consequence. What is, when you have revival, what is the promise of God for a real renewal within your heart? Now let's go to our text. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, you'll see how these points that I've just given you break down in the text. If my people called by my name, there's the condition, humble themselves and pray, there's the contrition, uh, and turn from their wicked ways, there's the cost, then, here's the payoff, here's the consequence, then. Listen, God always works after then. Remember I said when we meet the requirement, God then works, God works after then, not before then, <laughs> but after then. And he says then, then what happens, God? I'm gonna hear from heaven. I'll talk about that in a moment. Number two, I'm going to forgive their sin. And number three, I'll heal their land. And this is the promise that God gave. This is the consequence of revival. Now, he was speaking, remember we said at the first weekend out, this was a, the interpretation of this promise was given to the nation Israel. 
It was the time of the dedication of the temple that Solomon had built. So the interpretation of the text deals with the nation Israel. As they returned to God, God said, look, if you'll come to me this way, I'll do all these things for your country. That was the interpretation. But the application of that text works for us today. 1 Corinthians 10, the Bible says the things that happen in the Old Testament happen as examples for us today. So we can take the example of that experience in the nation Israel, apply it to us in the church age, and we can draw great comfort and encouragement from it because God is faithful to fulfill the promises, the principles, and the precepts of his word. So this is the, the uh, 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 interpretation, and I hope the application of that text to your life and mine. The first thing he promised is what I'm calling the fullness of God. He said, I will hear from heaven, the fullness of God. Here's what happens when a Christ follower receives Jesus. You read Ephesians 1, and it really spells this out. The first thing that happens when you receive Jesus is you receive his Holy Spirit. You receive his Holy Spirit. In fact, in uh, Acts chapter seven, the Bible says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to him. I've told you before, you don't get God on the installment plan. <laughs> you don't get Jesus now and get the Holy Spirit later and one day in heaven have a relationship with the Father. Again, he said, if you don't have my Spirit, you're none of mine, you don't belong to me. You receive the Spirit. Another term for salvation is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, meaning the moment you and I receive Jesus, we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that principle, in, again, in Ephesians 1, that we are sealed with by the Holy Spirit. That's why I believe in eternal security. Once you have the Spirit of God, you are eternally saved. You don't have to get saved over and over and over again. Now, you have to be forgiven over and over again, as we'll talk about in a moment. But it doesn't mean that that forgiveness affects your relationship with God, it affects your fellowship with God. And so in this relationship we've established with God, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And our salvation, hear me now, our salvation is as good as long as the seal is good. What do you do when you check a product at the grocery store? You look for the seal, right? Not only the expiration date, you look for a seal. Why do you do that? Would you buy an item and feed your family or would you take a medication if the seal was broken? No, <laughs> you'd say it's been tampered with. I can't trust it, it's uncertain. Well, what good is a salvation if it doesn't include a seal? Uh, what good is my uh, giving Jesus my heart today if, if, he, if I'm gonna go to hell tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, when he said you're sealed, he didn't say just uh, in any way, he said you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise meaning that before I could lose my salvation, the seal would have to be broken. God would have to break his word. The Holy Spirit would have to violate his very being in order for me to be lost. Here's how strongly I believe that. I believe if you and I all are in heaven one day and time is no more, and we're celebrating and we're worshiping around the throne of God, and God would be receiving our worship and he looks out and all of a sudden he realizes you're not there. Here's what I think would happen. I think he would call all of heaven to silence. I think he'd say, stop singing. I need quiet up here. I, I, need, I need to see something. And I believe he would look out over the vast sea of humanity and he would say, one of my kids is missing. And then I believe he'd go a step further. <laughs> I believe he would bankrupt heaven and put the angels on half ration before he'd leave you behind. That's how much you matter to God. So we're sealed. 
And the first part of his fullness is understanding when I come into a relationship with him, uh, he has received me. He has received me. And I have now a relationship with him as a result of that. So the second part of his fullness is not only understanding I have a relationship with God, now that means I can be in fellowship with God. Remember back in the garden, when God created Adam and Eve, he walked with them in the cool of the day. God desired fellowship. He had a relationship, he wanted fellowship. And what was broken by sin was fellowship. And the reason you and I have to deal with that, again, as I'll talk about in a moment, is because it breaks our fellowship. So one of the things that happen when you have revival, condition, contrition, and cost, is now you're close enough to God to finally experience his fullness. You, you see, God will not and cannot fill the parts of your life and mine that are already full. It's the one thing he can't do. If I'm full of myself, that's back to pride, if I'm full of my own attitude and my own ego, then I don't have any room left for God. So when you talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit, as he talks about in Ephesians 5, 18, he says, don't be drunk with wine, we're in success, but instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the idea of being filled literally means to be you being filled. It is a continual, continuous process. How does that work? Well, as I yield myself, he then has the power to feel, fill what I yield. Think about it this way. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, you're, or 6 rather, you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, that's outward, and your spirit, that's inward, both belong to God. Think about it this way. It's like God buying the house. He bought the house. He owns the house. He purchased the house at the cross with his own blood. So he owns this house. This is God's house. We're his tabernacle. We're, we're absolutely the tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. So we're his house bought with a price. The price was his blood. But what happens is we don't let him in all the rooms. Can you imagine owning a house and the previous owner says, this house is wonderful. We've had a lot of memories here, but don't go in the attic. <laughs> but enjoy the house. Or we've got this room down at the end of the hall and we're not gonna give you the key to that. You, you, you're free, you own it, you can, have, you can have access to every room. Don't go in the attic and don't go in that room. Would anybody move into a house like that? Would that creep you out just a tick? That would be incredibly, uh, that, that would just be a, a, a terrible situation. But that's exactly what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when we have a relationship with God without fellowship with him. We have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you can have that without the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He owns the house, <laughs> bought and paid for. That house is secure, he owns it, it one day will be in heaven, it's just while it's here on this earth, we have not allowed him access into every room. We hold on to stuff. Maybe, maybe what's in the room, we're, we're embarrassed. Maybe we feel like he doesn't know, even though he's sovereign, he knows everything. Maybe what we keep in the room is an old habit or keep in the room, maybe we lock behind that door a bad attitude. Or maybe we put back there a judgmental spirit. You know, we all have issues we deal with. And when we lock those behind the door and we don't give access to God, he can't fill it because we, we're already occupying it. But you know what happens? It may happen in a series like this. Sometimes the people of God just get sick and tired of being sick and tired. They say, I want more than what I'm experiencing. There's gotta be something different than this. 
And so what you do is for the first time in a long time, you say, God, I'm gonna yield every area of my life. I'm so sorry for holding on to some things I need to let go of. And you open that door and you open it up and you get rid of that junk. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to fill areas of your life. That's why it's a great feeling. <laughs> you say, do you believe in the second blessing? I say, yeah, I believe in the third and the fourth and the fifth and the 20th blessing. There's a lot of blessings that come. Every day and every moment of my day when I yield to the Holy Spirit, he fills what I yield. <laughs> and with the filling comes a feeling. And it's incredible because now he occupies spaces in my life he's never occupied before. That's why you get back in church and you get into worship and you start reading his word and reading the Bible. You go, wow. Not that everything in my life supernaturally changed, but my outlook changed. I feel differently about life. I'm more hopeful. I'm more optimistic about things. I, I have a new outlook on life. It's because something's changed within me. You know, when Paul was praying for the Christ followers at Ephesus, he prayed, here's what his prayer was. I prayed that the eyes of their heart, that it would be enlightened. We use this term enlightenment, right? You've heard that. What, what is he talking about? Well, that's actually a biblical concept. Enlight means I need light inside me. <laughs> Paul was praying that something within their heart would be enlightened. You can have light out here and not have light in there. And what happens when you've been enlightened and you've experienced real revival, God begins to reveal things about you you didn't know about yourself. And he begins to fill those empty spaces in your life with his presence. And instead of anxiety, now there's joy. Instead of fretting, now there's optimism. You may not know how it's gonna work out, but you know that it will work out. Why? Because God cannot lie. And when you are qualifying for his favor and blessing, when you're doing those prerequisites to the then, the then will happen, and when it begins to happen, one of the first ways you know it, you experience his fullness. I'll hear from heaven, he said. That's a beautiful thought, to hear from heaven. Have you ever prayed, it's just us here this morning, so you can be honest. Have you ever prayed a prayer and you wondered if God heard you? Now, let's be honest. I'm a pastor, and I'll be honest with you, I've wondered if I got it past the ceiling fan. You ever had those moments? <laughs> you just feel like you're having some kind of inner monologue, you know, you're just talking to you. Or would that be dialogue? Anyway, you're just talking within your own heart, and it's not going anywhere. You know, one of the things he said, look, when, when you line things up with me, and you're coming back to me, you can have the assurance, the assurance that you're heard in heaven. I'll hear from heaven. Heaven hears you. There's a beautiful passage in Genesis where when Abraham had the affair with Hagar and tried to raise the child with Hagar after the affair, and finally Sarah said, I want you to throw that nasty woman out of my house and that goofy boy along with her. Remember that story? Maybe you didn't hear it the way I just explained it, but it's, <laughs> it's very loosely translated. But Google that, Hagar and her child, and you'll find it. But anyway, here's where I was going with that. The Bible says that they, he, he took them out in the wilderness and really left them for dead. What a guy, right? <laughs> took them out there and left them for dead. Turned his back on this woman that he had a child with. Turned his back on the baby. Sent them out. And the Bible says that Hagar walked with her baby about as far as she could go. And she, and she laid the baby down. I can't imagine this. Next weekend, we'll talk about Mother's Day, and we're gonna have a wonderful opportunity to honor all the moms and grandmothers that'll be here. But can you imagine, Mom, what it would have required in her heart 
for her to have to be able to abandon her little one. And the reason she did it is she couldn't stand to see her little one die. So she lays the baby down in a shaded area in that wilderness. And the Bible says she walks away from the baby far enough to where she could hear it, but not far enough to where she could see it. The Bible says she walked away about as far as a bow shot. Now that's if you've ever shot a bow and arrow, you can imagine how far the arrow would fly before it lands. That's about the distance, about a bow shot. And the Bible says she laid down and was ready to die. And what's interesting, and here's where I'm going with the sad story, it has a happy ending. I will pull the nose of the plane up here, stay with me. Here's what happened. The Bible says, and this is so cool, the Lord heard the voice of the child. Now it's not to say he didn't hear Hagar's voice, but the Bible put it in there that he heard the voice of the child. You know what that says to me? God hears the least among us. He hears the littlest among us. You may have a little voice and you may feel like you're not being heard and you may feel like nobody even knows your name or knows where you are. Could I tell you, the promise of God is, I will hear from heaven. He'll hear you. You come to him, Jesus said, those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. The God of heaven will hear you. So there's assurance and then there's also in that same promise, I will hear from heaven, anticipation. The idea of hearing from heaven <laughs> means there's a supply that's coming from heaven. You're gonna hear from heaven. What do you need this morning? God has a supply. There, there, listen, there's not a problem you bring him that he can't handle. He's never, he's never had anybody pray and bring their problem to him and go, okay, I'm gonna, maybe I can talk to you on, about this on Monday. I'm gonna need some time about this. He's never had to convene a group in heaven to talk about. He, look, he's already got it worked out. Did you know when you understand scripture, God has a solution before the problem even presents itself? Before man ever sinned in the garden, Jesus, the Bible says, was the lamb slain, listen, before the foundation of the world. Let's do the, let's do the application of that. He's already got the solution of your problem before your problem ever presented itself. Isn't that good to know? I don't have all the problems. I, I can look at you sometimes when you tell me what you're going through, and I, I can be as confused as a termite and a yo-yo. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I can tell you, I pray for you, and I will pray for you, but I don't, I, I don't know. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know the answer to the problem? Can I tell you, you when you hear from heaven, God's got the answer. So, so the hear from heaven is one of the most beautiful promises in the, in the idea of returning to God and experiencing a revival. So I will hear from heaven. Number two, it involves the forgiveness of God. He said, I will forgive their sin. Man, the burden that you carry of not feeling forgiven is a heavy burden. I've read articles of psychiatrists who talk about people struggling with different uh, forms of mental illness, and they say many times in therapy, one of the biggest things that people struggle with is the feelings of not being forgiven, not being able to move past their past and get beyond that experience. And so it has so burdened them down and become so heavy in their mind and heart, and it's become something that is debilitating to them. And I can tell you, man, the freedom that is in forgiveness is enormous. And to know, guys, that the God of heaven will and has forgiven us. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, we talk about the efficacy of the cross. When he went to the cross, his payment on the cross was sufficient to pay for the sins of the entire world. It's sufficient. 
Somebody tries to define it. Again, it's back to this Calvinist and Arminius argument, and I'm in a little bit of deep weeds, but some of you that are theological walks will get this. But it's the idea that, you know, one side, there's the, the, the will of God that is so strong and, and the predetermined will of God is such that he has selected a certain group of people that he has foreordained should go to heaven and the rest of the world, he's consigned to hell. On the Arminius side, it's the view that every man has a will and that they exercise their will in receiving God and that's how salvation is uh, affected. Well, I think there's some truth on both sides of that argument. My view of it simply is this. When Jesus died at the cross, the efficacy of his sacrifice was sufficient to pay for the sins of the world. When he said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, I don't, mean, I don't think he meant the world of the elect. And they don't believe really in election. Most of them that go real hardcore in that area believe in selection that God kind of looks down from heaven and goes, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, you go to heaven, to hell you go. <laughs> that you don't have a choice in the matter. Now, I've never accepted that. Charles Spurgeon used to say, over the door are the words, whosoever will, let them come. When they step through the threshold and they look back, it says, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. God is sovereign. He knows who will receive him and who will reject him. I understand Romans 8 when it talks about the fact that because God is providential, he has foreordained certain things that will happen in my life and yours based upon what he already knows I will or will not do. But when it comes to the will of God, the Bible says in 2 Peter, God is not willing that any should perish, any, but that all, all should come to repentance. So then why isn't everyone saved? Well, it's not because he's not willing, it's because they're not willing. It's because he has given forgiveness that they've never appropriated. It, it doesn't matter how forgiving God is at the cross, remember, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the heart of God, he's willing to forgive. Forgiveness is there, it's just until you receive it, until you accept it, until you ask for it, it will not be appropriated into your account. It doesn't matter how big the check is you carry in your pocket, till you deposit the check in your account, it will not be credited to your account. And so I'm suggesting to you, God is willing to forgive. He is able to forgive. It's that people who don't go to heaven and end up in hell aren't there because God wants them there. They're there because that's their choice. They choose to go because they rejected Jesus. Jesus is not one of many ways to heaven. He's the only way. <laughs> He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now, before you make this a religious argument, understand there's not a place in the Bible where God said get religion and go to heaven. I don't care if you're a Catholic or an Episcopal or you're a Baptist or an Assembly of God or a Methodist. If you've been baptized, pasteurized, homogenized, I don't care. Baptism is important in its place, but there's nothing salvific about the baptistry. It is the first step of obedience. When you re receive Jesus, you go down into the water, picturing his death and burial. You come up out of the water, picturing his resurrection. And it is the thing Jesus did to set the example for us. But there's nothing, I mean, we baptized, we got good old Fort Worth water in here. Your sin didn't come off in that water. We pour that water out, out back, it doesn't kill the grass. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a sinful stew. <laughs> 
we don't bottle it and sell it in, in, in uh, New Orleans down there somewhere. <laughs> Marie Laveau, you know. <laughs> Check out this one. No, no, no. Boy, I am really off-roading now, aren't I? My gosh, where did I even go? Help that boy. Bring him back, Lord. Bring him back. What was my point? No, there was a point. And that is none of those things you do religiously affect your eternal destiny. The most important thing one day when we stand before God, if the, if the question is asked, would be this. What did you do with Jesus? You read the last verse of Matthew 23. He said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, didn't we do wonderful things? And didn't we cast out demons, do all this? And then here's what he'll say. Then will I profess unto them, depart from me, for I never knew you. He didn't say I knew you and you blew it and you didn't get re-upped and so you're out. No, he said, I, I, ne I never knew you. And then he'll say, depart from me. You've worked deceit, you've deceived yourself, which is the worst deceit. But this idea of forgiveness, guys, God can forgive, he will forgive. I told you a few weeks ago, somebody misunderstood, so let me make it clear. There's only one sin God will not forgive, and that's the sin of unbelief. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's rejecting the wooing and the calling and the drawing of the Holy Spirit to the cross to receive Jesus. If you die in that condition, that is the only sin he will not forgive. Every other sin he puts against the cross. So relationship is established when you receive Jesus. Our sins past, present, sins to come. Look, if, if people say, well, Bill, does that mean when you, when you receive Jesus, you got a license to, to sin? You can just sin all you want to? No, I don't believe that. If you know Jesus, you'll sin about all you want to because he changes your want to. <laughs> he changes you. If you belong to him, when you sin, there'll be conviction. If you continue to sin, there'll be a consequence. God will bring, I told you a few weeks, God will bring your kid, his kids back. They'll turn at some point, which is repentance, and they'll come back to him. If you belong to him, that will be a reality in your life. So what happens when a Christian sins? Well, if you don't believe that all of our sins in the future were forgiven at the cross, think about this. Cross was to what, 2,000 years ago? We wouldn't be saved if, if, if sins paid for at the cross didn't include the past of that present and also future. We're in the future. None of us are around at the cross. So every sin Jesus forgave at the cross was in the future as far as we're concerned. So when does that future end? Does that mean, all right, I got saved when I was a six-year-old boy, but the Lord knows I've sinned a lot. So does every time Bill Ramsey sinned, Jesus has to come back and die again? So it covers me for the future. Oh, God, die again, covers me for the future. Got to go again, covers for the future. No, it's all that was paid for at the cross. Now, when a Christian sins, and we do, when we sin, what it affects is not relationship. It doesn't sever your relationship with God. It affects your fellowship. Your ability, if you're in a relationship, you know how that works. You can be married to someone and not like that person. So don't, don't, oh Lord, I'm not even gonna make eye contact with you right now. I don't know what you dealt with coming in this morning. If I look out there, I'm looking at your forehead. I'm not making eye contact with anybody. You can not like that person you're sitting by right now. You, very much. you love them, but you don't like them. Can I tell you, that's relationship. I'm sorry, that's fellowship. Relationship can be good, fellowship can be broken. That happens with God. That's what happens when a Christian walks away. It's not their relationship that got broken, it's their fellowship. They're hurt, they're bitter, they're upset, they're mad, all that. Fellowship. And what happens is, we, 1 John 1, 9, we at some point confess that sin. You know what the word confess is? It's agreement. God, you were right, I was wrong. I confess it. And if we confess it, he's faithful and just. 
And John, listen to the language. If, if we confess our, he didn't say you, your. So he's talking about Christians just like himself. If we confess our, he is faithful and just, forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now let me give you one more little thing and I gotta, I gotta close. Here's the deal. What happens when a Christian sins is sometimes there are consequences. Sometimes the seed sown to the flesh reaps corruption. Doesn't even require God to do anything. If I jump off this platform this morning, it doesn't require divine intervention for me to hit the floor. Wouldn't you agree? God doesn't have to move. He doesn't have to say, all right, angels, take him to the ground. No, there's, there's a law he's put in place called the law of gravity. And I won't defy that law. If I step off of that, the law takes over, I go to the floor. Well, there's certain laws God's put in place. If you do the crime, you do the time. <laughs> That's not a law, but I, you know. Anyway, the point is, there's certain things he's put in place that just are gonna, they're natural consequences. In fact, God has to intervene to keep the natural consequences from happening. Sometimes stupid things happen. What's the old saying? Do stupid things, win stupid prizes. Sometimes that happens, and we just do stupid stuff, and we get stupid prizes. So some, and it requires God to abort the harvest of sin, and he can do that and be just because he'll put it against the cross. He'll say, I'm not gonna allow the harvest of, of that to come to fruition, even though I should, and I could, I won't, because I'm just and merciful. I believe you've learned the lesson, so I'm gonna put the consequence against the cross. Now, don't do it again. See how that works? So you have, hear from heaven, you have forgive their sin, last one and we're done. You have the favor of God. He said, I will heal, I will heal their land. Let me give you this one thought. When Jonah was called to go to Nineveh to preach, remember the story in the Old Testament? Jonah and the whale, now you remember. <laughs> when he was called to go to Nineveh, he turned away from God. Not to him, but away from him. And the first chapter of Jonah is Jonah running away from God. Then you have the whale, you have all that that's going on. And then you have chapter two, what happens in chapter two? Jonah's running to God, <laughs> repentance. And then chapter three, Jonah's running with God. And one man, listen, one man who was repentant, one man who was contrite, one man who was obedient, who did what God called him to do, was instrumental in an entire city being converted to Jesus. Listen, never underestimate what God could do in and through one single solitary life. You're never too young, you're never too old. God can use your life. You remember I told you a few months ago about the storm on the seashore? These friends would walk on the beach every morning, they'd meet each other and walk, and after the storm had ended, they met at the beach to walk, and one friend was ahead of the other friend, and he noticed something amazing. The storm had washed up on the seashore, thousands and thousands of starfish. Many of them were still alive early in the morning. So he began to throw those starfish back out into the surf. His friend arrived to take the walk with him and saw what he was doing, and he said, man, ah, I love it, but there's so many of these starfish. You're not gonna be able to save one, all of these. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? And he held one of those living starfish in his hand and he said, it'll make a big difference to this one. And he threw it back into the surf. We may not be able to save all of them, but let's save what we can. We may not be able to help everybody, but let's help all that we can. And friend, it is yet to be seen what God could do with just a handful of us that got serious about this and had a real revival. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the worship that we've experienced. Thank you for the word that we now have heard. 
And Father, I pray that your word will find lodging in our hearts and minds. Father, we know you have a purpose for us being here and those watching online. So Father, I pray that your word will lodge deep within our heart, that we now as we leave will not just be one who have heard your word, but help us to be one who will do your word. And finally, Father, I pray for anyone who may never have trusted you as Savior, that this would be that moment in their life where they humble their heart and they simply say right where they are, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.